Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast that discusses current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues in pharmacy. I'm your host, Carleen McMore, and together with my producer, Jared McMore, and the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, we are bringing you a podcast that draws on the opinions and expertise of pharmacists from all settings and experience levels, from those pharmacists who've already been a voice in the profession to those who've never had their voice heard before. This episode is entitled The Evolution of the Pharmacist Qualifications. Pharmacy qualifications have changed over time. We've seen pharmacists altering the roles that they uh, perform in their uh, day-to-day activities, whether that be in community pharmacy, whether that's in hospital pharmacy, in industry, or working out in other areas of health. We'll see pharmacists doing different roles and utilising their degree in a way that wasn't necessarily imagined previously. We're also seeing changes in the way the degree is delivered, with some universities changing the, the model that they have been utilising for many years, incorporating new styles, new theories around qualifications and how to gain them and how to teach people. We're seeing pharmacists change the way they're using their degrees, so they might be entering into roles or responsibilities that they may not have thought they were going to go into with a pharmacy degree, but you can see how their pharmacy degree has put them in a good position to take on those types of roles. Mark Norton discusses evolving change and curriculums within pharmacy degrees. Well, I think the curriculum at most universities are reviewed continuously, and I think we're in a, a stage of of significant change in pharmacy. So there's a, a lot of evolving change um, in 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 the pharmacy sphere. So I think it's imperative that all curriculums across the country are, are reviewed. Um, our curriculum at the University of Canberra is no different. We would be reviewing curriculum um, at least each semester, but there's the casual conversations that occur continuously. So we, we, we make changes, um, not necessarily on, an, on a weekly basis, but it, it is a continuous um, uh, change. Graham Smith discusses pharmacy course in New Zealand and the balance of clinical content, science and the application of knowledge. Well, the curricula in New Zealand, uh, we only have two schools of pharmacy and the curricula um, uh, uh, in Auckland has just been reviewed. Um, I think they're in the second year of teaching to the new curriculum now and the Otago school um, is changing significantly. So I think that the way that they're structuring things is that a lot of the background science that used to be taught, and it's just background, is no longer taught at all. Um, And I think the aim is to have nearly all the base clinical information taught by the end of third year so that fourth year is what what the educationalists call a capstone year. So you're really putting the top on that knowledge and learning how to apply it. Um, and the the uh, undergraduates are doing a lot more workplace placements in that final year. It's been interesting looking at, because I take workplace placements and have done for a number of years, it's been interesting looking at the people that have come out of the new curriculum from Auckland and how impressive their clinical knowledge is by the time they're getting towards the end of that third year. So I I think it's working. Catherine Duggan discusses the quality and content of courses, first principles for pharmacist training, and continued learning throughout your career. I've probably got my clearest views on this. Um, uh, I think you can always review the course, always, and you can always make sure that it can be inclusive of new and emerging um, items of knowledge. But we should remember 
that the point at which somebody is undertaking an undergraduate degree, they are generally the youngest they ever will be in their professional career. And more and more now, we're going to be practising for a very long time. If you look at the, the stats, retirement ages are going to be projecting forward. So for me, it goes without saying that the quality and the content of the degree needs to be as up-to-date as possible. But there are reasons for learning things by first principle um, in many, many cases. And the understanding of things like bonds and how we, you know, we pharmacokinetics, for example, we do need to know that if we're the drug experts. So my biggest passion is um, about supporting pharmacists in the first thousand days of practice and enabling them to... They will be the responsible pharmacist in a legislative framework and regulated to be so, but to enable them to practice with their L plates on their green L plates, if you like. I don't know if you have that in Australia. Um, and that it's a constant thing about being developed and you can constantly go back and learn more. Um, and I give you the um, example of ourselves around the table. We can't wait for somebody to be taught something at undergraduate degree. We would have to be responsible for knowing that ourselves. So I think you can shoehorn as much as you like into the um, undergraduate degree and, and all of the educators now are struggling to fit anything more in. It's about what you have to take out. And we as a profession have to understand that you consolidate in the first couple of years of practice and then you continue to grow and we need to be able to pick up new knowledge of new entities, new molecules, new ways of working as we progress in our careers. So my answer is it's not all about the undergraduate degree. That is important. But at any point in time, the workforce that is practising is larger than the cohort that is in the universities. Chris Campbell discusses lifelong learning, residency and practical placements. Yes, you can always review and always ne- you can never end your improvement of the undergraduate course. The key tenet will be instilling that lifelong learning and understanding that we're a profession of lifelong learners. You never stop. I like your first thousand days focus and we're hearing more structured programs around that, the residency programs, um, foundations that they have in the UK. I think there's uh, that, that lifelong learning tenant that gets connected in undergraduate. I, I couldn't focus on that, e- that anymore. Than, if that's the one thing that can be improved, it would be um, embedding that lifelong learning ethos into um, the undergraduate. The other thing I would love to see, and this is feedback, not just from early career pharmacists, uh, but our intern pharmacists is something that's really difficult for our universities to do, and that's to integrate more practical placements from first year. So that's ability for that to happen, get those skills, uh, contextualise the foundation knowledge that they're getting um, from the undergraduate um, degree um, and ensuring that there is a level of context of this is why that's important. It's why first principles are important because it flows on to giving us the ability to make better decisions. And so that, that contextualisation and, and bringing in practical placements much earlier in the degree. Um, and some universities are doing that. Graham Smith also discusses practical placements and the Evolve programme. We are starting to have similar debates in New Zealand. I think it's fair to say the schools of pharmacy would like more involvement in that that intern training year. Um, that's traditionally been done by the Pharmaceutical Society through what we call the Evolve program. Um, 
things will probably change in the future, um, just exactly whether that will be entirely university controlled or whether it will be a, a collaborative effort between the society and the schools of pharmacy remains to be seen. My personal view is that it will probably end up being a, a collaborative effort and um, between the universities and the society. And I, uh, There's also been some talk about going from a four-year degree to a five-year degree uh, fully within the universities with a workplace-ready pharmacist at the end of it, and I think that some English schools have, have gone down that route, but we're looking at that with less less favour, I think it's fair to say. We, we see the, that workplace experience and that, that fifth year being really important. Mark Norton and Renee Beardmore discuss the varying skill sets of pharmacists, how this can be applied to a variety of roles, additional training and skills that are transferable to other industries and careers. One of the advantages I see of a flooding of the market of graduates is that more and more graduates go into other jobs and as a result of that people become more aware of the capabilities and skill sets that pharmacists have. So I think that's true. Yeah, the uh, the skill sets that pharmacists gain from their degree and and after they graduate as well. And that's even if they're rolling onto it. They're, you know, they're leaving our profession behind, which we don't want them to do, but if they're doing that, it's also, yeah. I, I, I've seen uh, pharmacists go on into public health, the, the health departments. Um, some of them may have had another degree on top of their mm-hmm. um, pharmacy degree. It might be in public health. They've they've recognised what other skill sets they might need to develop and had another degree, and it may be uh, similar things like yourself where you've done an MBA. Um, we've had others that have gone and done economic-type degrees um, and, and really had a, a very career, and as a result, they still speak highly or talk to others about the roles that pharmacists do, not just putting labels on boxes. Which I think, is you know, we'll never get to, like, an arts degree or a science degree and, you know, the Renaissance degree of, you know, make, you know being broad. Um, it's, a, it's a... We have to sell ourselves as, as offering more than just medication experts as being able to navigate the health system is, I guess, the first... If you look at it as a circle, that's that first inner circle outside and then grow that out in rings. True, and that's one of the innovations, and it's, it's not really a, an, a real innovation, but one of the advantages of the degree at the University of Canberra is that the students will have four electives in their undergraduate program, so if they want to go and uh, develop skills in, in management, um, in public health, in sport, exercise, other communication. areas, communication... Uh, they can do that and that might um, provide them that opportunity to say, I actually like that, I'm actually good at not just the medicine sides of things but I've also got this other skill set, might be coaching Mm -hmm. and go on and further their uh, career after their primary degree in pharmacy. I guess those, Mark, speaking as a pharmacist who has a non-traditional role and how difficult it has been to have people see me as more than a pharmacist. Um, as pharmacists, we think that anything with H for health we can do, but I can tell you the rest of the world doesn't see us like that. They see you as a pharmacist and that's all you can do. I have another degree, I have an MBA, and that's opened doors for me, 
but it has been a struggle to see people, to see the skills that I have as a pharmacist as transferable. Carolyn Huxhagen discusses niche roles and expanding scope of practice. Okay, so pharmacist scope of practice, um, I do think there needs to be a basic um, pharmacy degree scope. So for all of the universities, colleges, institutions, whoever's going to roll out pharmacy um, training, um, I think there has to be a basic level. And to get your pharmacy degree, and you know, in my lifetime, that's changing. But I think there has to be a opportunity for pharmacists who want to work in niche areas, and that could be rural and remote practice, that could be prescribing, that could be lots of areas that are um, expanded role of pharmacy. And I think that there needs to be at an undergrad level that you can pick at you know, um, a level of your going into your degree that your area that you would like to practice in is X, Y, Z. So I'm going to add in these electives because that's where I'm going. And, you know, you see this in medicine. So if you want to be a generalist, you go down one pathway. If you want to then go, if you wanted to be a paediatrician, you go to that level and then you diverge off that way. And I think pharmacy is heading to this point. If you want to be a pharmacist practising in rural and remote Australia with the extra expertise of being able to do cannulation, to be able to um, immunise completely, to, to do a lot more things than we do now, to do eye reviews and, and things like that, um, then you go down a specialty extras pathway. And I think that has to become in undergrad, but I also think it has to be available for people like myself who want to realign their skills or change their their practice. Um, so when we've talked about it, in when Health Workforce Australia was um, active and, and happening, there was a, a lot of work done as to how we can improve the health practitioner levels in communities. So if you only had in your community a nurse, an ambulance officer and a pharmacist, what could you do to upskill those people so that you actually still had the provision of a broad range of health services to the community? Um, and we talked at length that, well, maybe you know there has to be a module that gets added on so that the pharmacist can learn how to do you know, advanced practice, you know, how to do an oxygen line, how to, to, to set up a syringe driver. And, you know, you, you upskill the people that you've got on the ground. Um, that's one point. So there's an undergrad level, there's an undergrad issue of, you know, being able to add at your undergrad years. But there's also an issue of how you advance practice once you are, a, you know, a 50-year-old pharmacist. So... I really believe that we're evolving into being a true health practitioner in a community and the pharmacist, you do have a basic pharmacy degree but if you have that desire and that passion to expand your scope of practice, why are we saying, oh well, you're a pharmacist? You know, I did physiology, I did anatomy, I, you know, I've done those base level sciences. There's no reason why I can't build on it the same way that 
a nurse practitioner builds on her basic nursing degree, the same way that a physician assistant builds on her basic nursing degree. Why why are we stopping it for pharmacists? Um, we don't stop it for other health professions, and nursing is probably the best example. I truly believe that there should be a generalist pathway type situation and a, then a ability to specialise, so a rural generalist, a pharmacist or a pharmacist that works in, you know, like uh, the Icon Cancer Centre pharmacists, you know, they, they expand their role and, you know, but those pathways have to be available not only at undergrad level, they have to be a- available at, you know, an after graduation level. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast.